CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey there, everybody. It's The Hash. I'm Zach Seward. We got Jensen Assey, Will Foxley, and Wendy O. We are here to get you up to speed on what is shaping up to be a pretty crazy day in crypto here on Monday, August 8th. We got lots of stuff to get to, starting with Will. Take it away. This is the story, perhaps, of the summer, maybe even of the year. The U.S. government is going after Tornado Cash. Tornado Cash is a mixer for cryptocurrencies, specifically Ethereum. It enables you to move Ethereum from one wallet to another and break the transaction history between the two. It's a very important tool within crypto because it allows for privacy for almost any user, but also allows for privacy for big hacks and exchanges to uh, obfuscate what they're trying to do with their transactions, right? North Korea has used Tornado Cash in the past, specifically for the Ronin hack, where they laundered about $200 million worth of hacked ETH. And they've been pumping a lot of ETH through this uh, mechanism for the last few months. It's a huge deal now that a lot of people can't use this bridge because the OFAC sanctions will hurt anybody who's going against them uh, and is going to continue using this. Wendy, I want to throw this one up to you. This is, again, one of the bigger stories I think we're wanting to talk about this year. What does it mean for privacy? And what does it mean for the average user who maybe even has funds on Tornado Cash? So this is a very, 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 very problematic thing. And I have to put my tinfoil hat on for a little bit and kind of talk about it. So we do know that there's illicit activity that happens. It happens with cash. It could happen with Bitcoin. It could happen when you're bartering. It happens no matter what. So I understand that they want to instill some sort of regulation to stop this bad behavior. But at the same time, crypto, Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever type of cryptocurrency, it was essentially created for privacy to keep people safe, to keep people private to, so they don't have to share all of their data in some aspect. And one of the things that I'm thinking about is that this could have been done because we're having all this drama with all these different crypto exchanges becoming insolvent, filing for chapter 11 bankruptcy. Maybe they're utilizing this to kind of instill some sort of new law to aid in those cases. But the bigger picture that I'm looking at is a CBDC. We know that we're supposed to have some sort of CBDC in the United States. And we were thought we were told that this was going to happen during the panorama to help facilitate payments to people. But what if they're putting this law out or this ban out to kind of manipulate what is happening with the CBDC to come up with some sort of protocol, some sort of creative way where they can potentially hide their tracks? Because we all know that the government, especially the United States of America, 
they don't spend money the way that they're supposed to. They keep printing money. They keep sending it places. Um, we keep introducing all these brand new tactics, et cetera. So maybe that they're, they're doing this to, in fact, kind of cover their tracks and then release the CBDC. This is just speculation, just my opinion, but privacy is very, very important, especially to the average person. And a lot of people, especially on my TikTok, they're like, you know, this is good. We don't like hackers. It's for bad people. And I'm thinking to myself, what about survivors? What about somebody that is in a particular area or region that is getting oppressed, like somebody that goes to a nine to five job and they say, you know what, we don't like you. We're going to go ahead and put a freeze on your bank and tank your funds. So there's a lot of different arguments for and against this. But at the same time, I'm looking at the bigger picture and it's just not sitting right with me. You know, I wonder how blacklisting a service for U.S. citizens is going to stop North Korean hackers from using a product. So to me, this doesn't sound like a national security play, which is mentioned time and time again in the announcement. Wendy, Will, I completely agree with you. It sounds like a play against privacy. And Wendy, I just want to take what you were saying even further. I think a lot of people see this and they say, this is good. We need to stop the criminals. We need to stop the hackers because we don't want uh, platforms and people to lose money to the tune of $600 million. But when we think about privacy, I challenge people to think outside of like the very safe bubble that a lot of us live in and, and think about, I think something that we could all relate to in the United States is think about if you live in a red state and you need access to an abortion, somewhere along that journey, you might want a transaction you make to be private. And this is something that can enable it. So this is just a huge knock against privacy and really sad story to start the day off on. Zach, what did you think? Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting to see the privacy conversation ramp up, right? The privacy conversation is no longer just about privacy coins. It's about zero knowledge proofs, right? Cryptographic technology that lets you verify what's in a transaction without knowing the contents of that transaction. Stuff like that that has been talked about in terms of scaling and making these networks support more transactions. Now I think the conversation is going to shift toward, okay, those are some privacy features that we can do in a compliant manner that will foster mainstream adoption so that the world doesn't have to know that I'm spending 10 bucks on, I don't know, like porn or something, right? So the idea here is that there should be a right to privacy online, just as there is a right to privacy in other aspects of our lives. And yet, I think we're seeing the increasing surveillance of the financial system. And that has privacy advocates worried. This is something that I think, you know, Naomi Rockwell, Ben Powers would be harping on pretty loudly right now, that there should be a right to financial privacy as it relates to online commerce especially in peer-to-peer -peer internet commerce. That's what crypto is all about. So the idea that this is now increasingly under attack is a little bit scary to folks. Flip side, like Tornado has laundered a lot of shady funds in the past. So like it puts them square in the crosshairs. They're the ones who are going to be the canary in this coal mine. But the bigger picture I think is really important. And it is something that people are going to get loud about in terms of thinking how to work these issues out so that the prospect of online native currency can exist in a way that is private by default, but not criminally so. Privacy is not a crime. And I think that's worth repeating here as OFAC takes a very broad-handed approach to cracking down on some of these tools. Will, your thoughts? Honestly, we could do the whole show on just this one topic because there's so many threads to pull on. The one I want to zero in on right now, though, is the conversation between cryptocurrencies and privacy coins. A lot of people refer to cryptocurrencies and using them for just basic transactions like Bitcoin or Ethereum. But they don't have a lot of those privacy builds into them, right? You can send a Bitcoin transaction, but you can basically find most of the information about it pretty easily. And if you really know how to do some nice sleuthing, you can find the IP addresses and therefore the physical locations, the people who sent that money on Bitcoin or Ethereum. So that's why Bitcoin and Ethereum have turned to different 
transaction mechanisms using dApps or applications like blenders and mixers in order to send Bitcoin privately, or they use wallets like Samurai or Wasabi to send Bitcoin privately. But a lot of these things have problems, right? And so a lot of people saw this coming alongside, and that's why they invented privacy coins like Monero or Zcash. And I think when you look at this picture and you're seeing these applications that are used for laundering or used for mixing or used just for basic privacy being censored, then the reality of the point of a privacy coin actually becomes tangible. And all those crazy people out there who are saying that privacy coins mattered for years, they're slowly becoming vindicated more and more. Flip side, however, is what if privacy coins didn't really get out into mainstream adoption and then they get stifled and uh, squelched in the bed as well. Zach, back to you. Yeah, it is pretty remarkable just to think that this is the blacklisting of a tool, not a particular bad actor, right? This is a the blacklisting of an open source software tool. So this is sort of a new frontier in how uh, U.S. regulators are approaching some of these things. I mean, they're couching it in the terms of, okay, North Korea used this to like launder a bunch of funds. Okay, we're going to take action against it. But typically, these are sanctioned individuals, right? They're someone who commits a bad action that is meant to be dissuaded from occurring again. And those are the people who end up on these lists. But this is actually just like a tool, right? Like a neutral technology that is, can be used any number of ways from someone who you know, wants to send 20 bucks to their friend you know, for the beer that they just bought or you know, wants to, again, launder funds after hacking a major protocol in the crypto space at the nation state level. So it is odd that I think that this, this open source code is now the target of this enforcement action rather than any particular individual users who may have used it to do bad stuff. So that to me is interesting. And I think a lot of people are really uh, homing in on that particular distinction here in this action as something that is odd, new, and potentially has quite big ramifications. But Wendy, over to you. I just want to say, I mean, I feel like it's easier for the government to just shut it all down, just to say, no, you can't do this instead of actually understanding how this works and maybe coming in and saying, hey, you know what, you can use this feature, this feature, and this feature, but not this feature. And we know that they're tracking things anyways on the blockchain. So it's very problematic, the fact that they just stepped in and they just completely says, no, you can't use it. And kind of back to Jen's point, how is this going to impact people that are doing bad things outside of the United States? That doesn't make any sense to me any way, shape or form. People outside of the United States of America can still do stuff very, very easily. So basically what it's doing, it's just kind of saying, you're in trouble for what your big brother is doing over here. We're taking away your privileges. But people are going to get creative. They're going to find other ways to kind of work around this, whether it be privacy coins, whether it be coming up with a brand new protocol, et cetera. So it's just a very, very problematic, oppressive behavior, in my personal opinion. All right. Lots to go there. We'll surely discuss that again. Let's change gears. However, let's go to the world of trading institutional crypto trading firm Galaxy Digital. Down bad. Prices went down. So too did the value of Galaxy Digital's portfolio. That there is Mike Novogratz. He's the CEO of Galaxy. They made their uh, latest financials known uh, as a part of public disclosure requirements up in Canada where they're a listed firm. And they said, hey, we lost $554 million, mostly related to unrealized losses on digital assets. We can talk about some of those ones that probably were included in that batch. And I will kick it to Will for his initial thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't like these headlines. Uh, to me, just saying like they have losses, but they didn't sell, right? Like unrealized losses typically means that they're going to be holding the asset through the downturns. That's because they are a thesis-driven company like most companies in crypto, most hedge funds or merchant banks out there. And they're deciding to hold through this position and hold their portfolio through it and not sell. If they're selling into cash, 
then it'd be a problem, right? Like last week we talked about ARC, Kathy Woods Fund, that sold a bunch of Coinbase at the literal bottom and then Coinbase ripped back up. I would consider that a loss, right? That is a large loss on a trade that did not go in your favor and you settled into dollars, which everyone uses of the unit of count. Here, they're holding on to whatever cryptos they have in their portfolio. And then people are saying, I oh, have unrealized loss because of that. And yes, that is pretty standard. That is basically how all these things happen. Like if you're going to do your reporting as a public firm, then you need to disclose things that way. But I think it does a little bit of a disservice to have headlines positioned this way. And it's just done in the industry writ large, right? Like this is how all these headlines are always written. So not really a knock on anyone there. But it is something that needs to be like looked under the covers a little bit more to understand that no, Galaxy Digital isn't like floundering at all. It's just that they have an unrealized loss because the market is down. The whole market has been down. We might have a little bit of a rally. Bitcoin might be over 24K. But the market is down significantly from November of last year. Wendy, up to you. Um, I think that this is pretty standard. Like what you said, everybody is down. If you're holding any type of cryptocurrency asset and you didn't get in, like if you bought Bitcoin back in 2017, you're probably doing okay. But everybody's down. All altcoins are down. Anytime we're in a bear market, we're in a bearish trend, we see Bitcoin correct, whatever it is, your altcoins are going to go down. And that's why it's important to take profit, et cetera. However, there's a difference between a big firm like Mr. Mike's as opposed to a retail trader or investor. And the reason why is, is because they have all of these special tax perks. Maybe they're able to write some of this loss off, et cetera. And I would also like to know what particular coins are holding or what particular assets, investments that are down. And because I want to be able to see why, like I want to be able to do more research and see what they're holding and maybe come up with a conclusion as to why they're holding these long-term. And it might be a good idea to potentially do your own research and follow the money here. Zach? Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, they may have potentially taken profits along the way. Noted in this press release is that they're sitting on $1 billion in cash, right? So much, much of their portfolio may have been transferred out of some of these floundering assets before they tanked even further. So it is interesting always to see these public disclosures around the bags of these big traders in the space. And you're right, you know, you dig into the filings and you can see what's going on. Uh, you know, I think you know, Novogratz was certainly in the spotlight with his commitment to Luna right before they crashed back in May. There was some reports that came out subsequently that they had sold most of their position before it fell off a cliff. So it's interesting to see that despite some of the turmoil that they've been through, they're in decent standing. And I think the stock price is actually up on this news, maybe indicating that investors are seeing it as, okay, maybe not so bad news given how pronounced some of the losses across the space have been. Jen, I'm going to toss it to you though for thoughts on Galaxy. Yeah, to Will's point, despite the headline, if you actually dig into the announcement, it was quite a positive announcement from a business perspective. Novogratz was kind of looking forward and, and looking at what the company might do with that over billion dollars in, in assets they have. And one of them was he said they're looking into mergers and acquisitions in the mining sector. And so, Will, I have a question for you. Novogratz said, we think we've got a role to play in both lending and potentially consolidation in this space. Do you think this is something we're going to see happen in the mining sector moving forward, given what we've seen go on with mining in the past few months? Yeah, disclosure, I work for a mining company. Uh, I do think there's going to be a lot of mergers and acquisitions in mining just because a lot of miners have weak positions right now and they have a lot of debt. And so it makes sense for a bigger company like uh, Mike Novogratz's company here to come in and pick some other miners up. But that being said, we are also still waiting on Galaxy Digital to close a deal with BitGo that's like 16 to 18 months old. And people are still waiting to see like if that is going to happen. And if that did happen, it'd be a huge acquisition change. When it was announced quite a while ago, that was a very large headline just because of BitGo's position within the cryptocurrency universe. Hasn't happened though, right? We're still waiting on that. So 
I'm waiting for that MA deal to, to close. But Jen, yes, I do think there's going to be a lot more acquisitions in the near future as people with heavy cash bags go out and buy some awesome teams that just need new leadership. So this next story is kind of a fun story and shout out to anybody who got into these trades and made some nice gains because we are in a bear market. But Avalanche and Stellar Lumens have been listed on Robinhood. So a couple things that I want to talk about this, like the charts look pretty decent for these on the daily. But again, I would still be a little bit cautious considering the news earlier regarding Tornado Cash and the entire crypto space along with Bitcoin. But the reason why I wanted to talk about this story is we know that the SEC, we know that the CFTC, we know that these government bodies are coming after crypto, but we still don't really have clarity as to what is a security and what isn't a security. But with this particular story here, would Robinhood list these two assets Star Lumen and Avalanche, if they weren't confident that they were not securities or not, because if they list these assets, they allow trading, and then the SEC says, hey, these are, in fact, securities, couldn't Robinhood get in trouble, just like what we saw kind of with Coinbase and the 9 out of 24 assets um, that were listed in that DOJ case? Who wants this one? I can pick it up really quickly. I want to point to the first quote I pulled, Wendy, was exactly to that. So see, Vlad Tenev said, that the firm prides itself on the addition of new cryptocurrencies and went on to say that some platforms might be inadvertently offering securities to users. I think this is just a strange thing to say publicly, given what we just saw happen with Coinbase and given the fact that Robinhood recently paid a $30 million fine to regulators. I feel like drawing attention to yourself like this in the current regulatory state is a little bit odd. You know, SEC Chair Gary Gensler has said he thinks that most cryptocurrencies are securities. And so I think, you know, exchanges and platforms like Robinhood are going to be in the crosshairs as we move forward. That said, I want to just applaud Robinhood for making crypto so accessible. I went on the website earlier today to see if that 24-7 phone support is still available to its users. And it is. And they encourage people to call in any time of day, any day of the week to ask questions about crypto trades. If you're unsure about, you know, how to use the platform, you can call them. They'll have answers for you. I really hope that one day we can hear from a journalist who calls Robinhood and asks some, some crypto questions because I want to hear what kind of answers they get back. I hope that they are actually useful and this isn't just some kind of marketing ploy. But Will, what, what did you think of the story? Yeah, I'm going to take a real quick shot at Stellar because I'm really confused how they continue to get into these lineups, right? Like, might be still a top 30 coin, but you're a fork of a fork. No one uses you for anything. How are you getting listed on Robinhood before everything else? Avalanche makes sense because it's this year's or this last bull market's round of top coin performers, right? It was up there with Luna. It was up there with Ethereum this round. It was up there with Near, a few other tokens, right? Solana. Stellar was kind of like so-so. It was 2017, 2018. It's kind of like last generation's big pump and dump coin. I don't understand how it made it onto the listing here. And so I definitely have some questions about the listing process. Coinbase gets a ton of flack for their listing process. So why don't we have the same scrutiny for other platforms like Robinhood, which are also starting to list some of these tokens? Wendy, to you. I just kind of wanted to laugh. Do you guys remember when nobody, like when Coinbase started listing coins or tokens and everybody was like so, so excited about it because they would pump like crazy, but they were very particular with what they used to list. Could Robinhood be the new Coinbase as far as being super careful on what they can and can list? Also too, I please correct me because I know this is not going to be correct, but doesn't Sam from FTX, doesn't he own like seven or 11% of Robinhood? I think seven point 
or something something right yeah something like that yeah no i mean that's yeah whatever the number is that is that is correct yeah i think you know i mean we saw the coinbase effect right remember the coinbase effect that's the thing you're talking about right they were very selective in the ones they Mm -hmm. added and did list a new one and go crazy i mean it's similar to what we're talking about now with Robinhood. so it is funny as coinbase becomes more promiscuous in terms of what it lists and Robinhood maybe becomes a bit more selective maybe the effect thing will shift over to Robinhood rather than Coinbase. I think the Coinbase effect has been diluted over time because it's not the signal that it once was, right? They were notoriously slow about listing new assets. And then they're just like, no, we're going to list every asset. No big deal. You've never even heard of this. This is a dead coin, whatever. We're listing it. So the Coinbase (laughs) effect has been fully diluted. But I guess maybe Robinhood effect as a new signal is something when it comes to reaching retail traders who are like, yeah, sure. AVAX, sure. XLM, give me those lumens. Let's do this thing. So it's interesting to see some of these these big listings actually still have juice in them even now. But yeah, I think like, you know, to Will's point, wasn't it like Salunavax was like a portmanteau of like the hot new L1s at one <laughs> yeah. point before everything went south, right? They've been serving the conversation. XLM, Stellar, they're still hanging on. They're still trying to make cross-border payments work in a fast and efficient manner. Yeah, interesting to see these two added to the roster. Of course, I mean, there's some older coins on the Robinhood crypto roster. And if you look at what's listed, you can see. But yeah, more corns out there, more trade. More corns. That's, that's the, more, more corns. Corn. We got more corns on, on Robinhood and people can trade those corns. And man, <laughs> more power to you. <laughs> All right. I'm going to take us to our last story. But before my eye at the news is not making me cry today. I just don't know what is happening. Don't cry, so Jen. if you see me oh, no. crying... I'm okay. I'm okay. You need, All right. Jen, you need to get a Q-tip and yeah. do, um, I've seen this TikTok trend where they, the girls have Q-tips and they have all this like makeup on. They're like, this is how bad bees cry. And they do this. So you got to get you yeah, a Q-tip. In the, next, in the next show, next time we talk about the SEC, you'll just see me with my Q-tip. Like, so I'm okay. Okay. So we're going to go down to the United Arab Emirates. They are cracking down on money laundering when it comes to crypto real estate. So real estate agents are going to have to alert money laundering authorities of any property sales paid for in full or in part by crypto. This includes using virtual assets or funds derived from virtual assets. As part of the new requirements, brokers, agents, and law firms will need to file reports to the Financial Intelligence Unit responsible for tracking dirty money. Wendy. What do you think of this? Is this something that we could see replicated in the US? There's lots of kind of real estate agents and real estate brokerages that are accepting crypto now, especially in Miami. Is this something we could see happen this side of the world? Of course. I feel like somebody from an ivory tower entity in America is going to say, you can't do this, and they're going to completely shut it down. So 100%. <laughs> Simple answer. I'm just thinking Simple about answer. that clip song, Dirty Money by Clips. It's a great song. Oh Check that out. That's a good song from way, way back on Hell Hath. Anyway, just that's what came to mind. Thank you for bringing that to mind, Jen. I appreciate it. I think the whole UAE, Dubai thing, they were trying to court as many crypto businesses as possible. And then they had this big headline, Three Arrows Capital decides to move to Dubai. And that did not go well for them. So it might be expected that maybe they're refining their approach to how they go about courting some of these crypto firms, given what happened with Three Arrows Capital and their subsequent insolvency. So uh, this is not exactly an apples to apples comparison here, but it is part of the conversation around what crypto's role will be in the United Arab Emirates and whether or not this region can truly attract as many crypto firms and the crypto rich people as possible. This seems to indicate that maybe they're pumping the brakes a little bit on how willing they are to embrace some of these firms and people given some recent history. But hey, 
who knows? Will, what's your thoughts? No, I'm with you. I think the three arrows capital debacle definitely put a little bit of uh, tempered water out there. No one wants to necessarily move there or talk about it. I'm sure the regulators are as well are looking at this and being like, maybe it wasn't so good to roll so high and so fast so quickly with this breed because basically crypto always pumps up really high and then explodes in a very fascinating fashion live on Twitter. And that happened in Dubai, right, with Rio's capital. So they're probably pushing it a little bit, slowing things down. UAE, same thing here. Uh, in terms of the other FATF information we have in here, that's pretty similar to what we're seeing across many countries, right? And just goes back to the beginning of the show, right? With Tornado Cash, all these countries are looking at these new projects, these new decentralized finance projects mixed with some privacy technology. And you get into a spot where governments are very uncomfortable with a new wave of cash that's going to empower people and they're going to stop allowing people to use it and they're going to put new regulations in place that it's going to allow them to have at least a little bit more control over the digital frontier. Bad news for everyone else who's trying to get into this, but it makes sense and it's going to keep happening. Jen? Yeah, reading about the reporting requirements just kind of reminds me about the requirements that are being set kind of all over North America by different regulators. It's like, okay, these requirements exist, but how do real estate agents report this and what's the threshold? So there's a part of the article that says this will be similar to a requirement that if anyone pays for a property in cash worth more than $15,000, they must report it. There's no uh, restriction on crypto. So even the smallest amount of Bitcoin used in the purchase of a home must be reported. And so I just like wonder if these processes have been thought out or if regulators and governments are just going to jump in and use these like very vague rules to pick and choose what they're going to look into, which is not a great way to move forward in this space. So those are just my final thoughts there. And I think we're ready to wrap it up now. Let's wrap that thing. Let's wrap it up right here. It's been The Hash on a Monday. Welcome to this new week. It's good times. I'm Zach. That's Wendy. We got Jen. We got Will. We'll be back tomorrow. And we'll get you up to speed then as well on what's going on in crypto. All right. That's it for today. We'll talk to you soon. Have a good one. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.